Today's episode is brought to you by Don't Just Sit There, an extensive multimedia course designed by Mark Sisson and biomechanist Katie Bowman, which teaches you how to eliminate the health threats of an overly sedentary lifestyle. For today and tomorrow only, you'll get $10 off the retail price of the program along with three limited time bonus materials. So act fast since the offer expires tomorrow evening, September 2nd. Go to primalblueprint.com slash don't just sit there to learn more. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. Welcome to the Don't Just Sit There audio conversation with Mark Sisson and Katie Bowman talking about the problem that we're trying to solve here, the major disconnect of modern society, which is the prolonged sedentary periods and the problems that occurs with our health. So, Katie, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot about sitting is death, and now books are being written on how devastating it is to our health to be sitting all day in the workspace or at home. But what, what's going on? What is it about the concept of sitting for eight hours or ten hours at a time that's actually so, so bad for us? Well, I'd probably break the problem of sitting into two categories. On on one hand, there's the stillness. It, you're being sedentary, so you're not moving, and so all of the all of the systems in your body that depend on movement and gravitational load to get things flowing or whatnot um, aren't happening. So, kind of in the same way that stagnant water isn't as good as water that's flowing, it's the same thing that that's happening in your body more on the, on a cellular basis, or at least in terms of like what's in your lymph and whatnot. And, and the loads that are going on to your cardiovascular system and, and the state of your musculoskeletal system. Like you don't, you don't weigh very much when you're sitting in your chair, certainly not as much as you do when you're standing up. So there's that whole sedentary piece, but then there's a second piece, which I like to call like a geometrical problem. So it's not just that you're still, it's that when you are still, you're always assuming exactly the same position when you're still, which means, as you know, that you adapt. Your structure literally adapts to what you do most frequently. And so you have all these changes in your, in your structure, in your physical structure, the length of your muscles, some getting longer, some getting shorter. You've got um, lower input of, of what your weight is to, as far as your bones are concerned, so your bone density adjusts accordingly. And so you've got two issues which I'm glad you're doing this program because I think that most people think of it as just a, I'm still, like I'm, I'm not moving around enough issue. Yeah, so most people assume, well, I'm not doing cardio, cardiovascular work, yeah. so yeah, that's probably bad for me, but that's all that's bad for me. And now I'm hearing you say almost immediately out of the blocks, bone density suffers as a result of our sitting all day because we're not, we're not weighting um, our joints appropriately. Um, you mentioned lymph. And... You know, we know from Bio 101 that it, the body requires movement for the lymph system to clear toxins and to put through what it needs to put through. Something as simple as, and that's sort of a biomechanical process that requires movement. Speaking of biomechanics, 
this notion that we're not moving through all kinds of planes of and ranges of motion throughout the day, but we're confined to one little space where we may move our, our, our wrists a little bit or our elbows a little bit, and that's about the extent of it because we're most of us are working on keyboards or whatever. I, I sort of I heard you I think start to go into things like brain function, the fact that you're that you are confining yourself to one to one posture, one position throughout the day, literally and almost almost like philosophically and metaphysically confines your thought processes to a, to a confined space. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, I mean, it's so easy to see that your hips and your knees don't move very much, but like, what about your eyes? You can't. You're not looking beyond your computer screen, and and the ranges of motion that you're using in all of your body are so small and narrow that philosophically we like to talk about like in learning in children there's a lot of work on that movement helps facilitate thinking and it doesn't really go away once you're older you know and we're all at work trying to think and stay alert through the day and be creative and productive yet we put ourselves in a situation in which the range of motion that we're operating on biologically is narrow and we're adapting to that narrowness and I don't think it, it is limited only to your physical structure. I think it's all of your structure, including the thoughts that you have while you're there. Right. I, I did a, a piece at the Ancestral Health Symposium years ago on play and how vital play is to human growth and development and learning and problem solving. And a, a lot of the emphasis on play was also around movement that was involved with play and the fact that, that movement that didn't look at calorie counting as the main uh, objective, but just simply looked at some some m- almost mindless task that put you through a range of different motions that set your body up to well, you can have a goal, but not have so much attachment to the outcome of the goal. And a lot of these things that are involved in play that put the body through uh, a dynamic range of motion that I think you've used the term fractal before, which is like sort of unplanned and and doesn't have a choreographed element to it but is random and sporadic, and is that sort of part of what we're talking about here in this, in this whole dynamic uh, workplace? Yeah, I think cultivating randomness is, a, is key and for play and for being an athlete, but also just for being human. Being human requires that you're constantly doing different things because you adapt, again, to what you do, and if you continue to do such a narrow range of, of motions. And sometimes in our best efforts to cross-train, it's hard to think outside of the cultural box. Like our, our definition of a wide range is actually pretty limited because we really are thinking in terms of exercise as, as the antidote to sitting. Like you sit all day and you're like, I'm going to go exercise off the amount of time that I was still, kind of in the same way that people like to exercise off maybe a, a poor choice. Penance. They're doing penance. Yes, yes. Penance through exercise. Um, atonement through exercise, yeah. I guess, is probably a better way to say it. And, and – you talked about play when as a biomechanist I work with mechanobiology so like the physical loads to the cells and and some of the most timely what some of the most recent things coming out of that mechanobiology world is this notion that our genetic expression is affected through through physical loads so since we're all kind of in chairs from school all the way up into you know right now listening to this coursework of going okay I'm still here. <laughs> I've been here for a long time. What we look, we're starting to look at is just like air quality and food quality. Is like what are the epigenetic effects of of this stillness, and even what are the effects of the stillness coupled with a narrow range, high intensity exercise antidote? 
and and we're trying to think broader. We're trying to get everyone to think broader. So we're sitting in a chair all day, and one of the things we're doing is we're loading certain parts of the body or compressing certain parts of the body more than would be advised over uh, that period of time. And we're also unloading parts of the body. So for instance, there may be compression on our lower back or parts of our spine. There may not be any loading on uh, the Achilles or the calf muscles. And particularly women, for instance, who are wearing high heels at work and sitting in a chair um, and wearing high heels. One of the interesting comments you'd made earlier is this idea that it's almost worse for that woman who's sitting in high heels all day to get up and get at a standing work desk in those same high heels. Yeah, I mean, I guess one of the reasons that sitting kills isn't like my favorite headline is because in the natural assumption is great, then I'll stand up. Awesome, problem solved. But but what happens when you take your kind of poor geometry that you have adapted to sitting, which includes the effects of shoes and and belts and 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 wallets. And wallets on one under one hip. Yeah, like this goes on and on. There's all these things. What happens when you take that structure and now put it under a greater load? standing because standing is a greater load so it's not necessarily the magic cure-all it certainly is a step in the right direction as we'll talk about later on but but there's so much more to this i mean and it's really interesting it's almost like a challenge to go through the list from top to bottom and all of the parts of the body that can be affected by this lack of movement and this and this sitting and this unnatural loading of certain parts of the body and unloading of others so whether it's the eyes you know, uh, having to uh, maintain a single plane of focus throughout the day and not be required to move up and down and across. Uh, whether it's the neck that has to maybe bend a little bit too far forward and cause some some misalignment of the spine because the the computer monitor screen is not set appropriately for that particular person's you know uh, requirements. Um, down to again the the wallet the 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 wallet full of ones that's stacked <laughs> high and credit cards that's wedging one side of the pelvis higher than the other, which, you know, wouldn't be a big deal in, in a matter of sitting for a couple of minutes at a time, but, but over six or eight hours a day, and then over days and weeks and months, because men tend to carry their wallet in the same pocket their entire lives, can have a, an enormous biomechanical impact over a lifetime. Yeah, and your soft tissue is constantly adapting, and in so much of what um, physical anthropologists know about looking through um, skeletal remains is that something called uh, skeletal robusticity. So it's the it's the size and the shape of the bone, and they can tell by the shape of the bone the behaviors that specific populations did. That's why we know who is a spear hunter and who was not, and what sort of what sort of arm motions. Like if you know the muscles and where they attach, and what sort of repetitive motions actually changed the shapes of the bones in and in. Um, professional uh, baseball pitchers, they've actually created torque in their bones from just this repetitive kind of high force windup that they do. But even these little things that we do all the time are leaving their telltale marks. And like our skeletal remains will tell a particular story. Your skeleton is an autobiography of what you've done. And if sitting on your wallet for 40 years was one of those things, your pelvis is going to leave some sort of trace that I would love to see how it was interpreted, you know, in a thousand years from right, now. Right, exactly. Or, or the fact that as your pelvis is tilted, there may be a counterbalance effect in your shoulders. And one sure. shoulder may be offset lower than the other, which may uh, manifest itself in some sort of a, a biomechanical issue with the, with the elbows and working down into the wrists and how you uh, manipulate a keyboard. There's so many aspects of, of this 
workspace that we've uh, created for ourselves uh, through modern society and this expectation that we're going to work eight hours a day uh, that I think a lot of people are just they're so accustomed to going to work and doing this they don't really think about all of the potential issues sometimes until they show up as lower back pain or as uh, migraine headaches or as shortened Achilles that you know, the women who are wearing the high heel shoes go home and they take their shoes, they finally kick their shoes off, and now their Achilles hurt because when they're barefoot, there's, there's almost too much uh, initial strain on the Achilles. All of these things can sort of find their original, sort of it all goes back to the workspace and, and how you have set up your workspace. So I guess the, the good news is there are lots of ways to address this, and they, all, they don't all have to revolve around standing up. Correct. Yeah, and that's why I think that it's important that we coin the term dynamic workstations, lest people think that standing is their only option. Right, so dynamic workstations um, is a very nebulous term. Is that on purpose? Totally on purpose. All right, so tell me why. Well, if you adapt to what you do, you want to make sure that you're doing as much as possible um, because work is one of those situations that you're going to be spending most of your time at work. Unfortunately, that's kind of where we are right now is the bulk of your time is, is going to be in your office, whatever that office is. And so if you can get your work done in a way that stresses and strains your body in as many different ways as possible, then in the, in the long term, you'll be able to get your work done for a longer period of time. Hopefully you're doing something that you love. But So it's, it's not just about sitting then. It's about, what, finding different ways to move throughout the day and to, to sort of figure out a way to get through as many planes or ranges of motion as possible? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, it's loads. In biomechanics, we work with loads. So loads would be any sort of compression or tension or torque, anything that you can do with the sponge to get water out of it, you can do to your cells to to load the cytoskeletons and affect your DNA, essentially. So what we want to do is understand that it doesn't have to be big, large movements. You don't have to take your work out on the road, out on a run or whatnot. You can change just the way you're sitting in your chair, and that's a whole new load to your pelvis and your lumbar spine and to the way that you breathe, which eventually becomes the amount of deployment you get in your lung tissue and then which affects the rate at which your blood is coursing through your veins all the time. It's it's small, but it's significant. And we're going to affect as many different things that you do in your work life through that nebulous term of dynamic workstation. It's like we can we can get we can keep you working and keep you moving in a whole new way than what you were doing before when you're just sitting in your chair. Okay, so this is not just about the stand up work desk then. Absolutely not. It's about it's about taking that two dimensional term and making it three dimensional. Okay. Uh, so what would be some some simple uh, quick fixes for somebody who's just sitting in a chair all day? Is there a is there a uh, a strategy that involves a progression that everybody should go through, or is it specific to the the workspace and how you're sitting and what your current configuration is, or it's, is it specific to your to your complaints, uh, the issues that you have physically now? I think everyone's going to have to answer that question on their own. Everything is going to be limited by your current status, the constraint of your office, whether physical or the office culture, I guess, you know, not everyone can go barefoot in their office. Um, but I think that everyone can make such a radical change without even pushing against the boundaries that 
are there, whether real or imaginary, that, for example, even if you just continued sitting in your chair, but swapped chairs with someone that had a slightly different chair than you do, that would be a different load. Like you would be healthier just for doing that. So for someone who's listening and going, there's no way I can do anything. It's like, you can swap a chair. Yeah, so I'm trying to imagine, and I'm not gonna fight you on this because I think it's a great idea, but here I am sitting with my $800 ergonomically correct chair. Am I gonna swap it with somebody for a bar stool? Yeah, I'm gonna give you my $3 garage sale bar stool and your back's gonna be better for it. Seriously. And, And likewise, by me, who've always sat in this bar stool, in, a, in the position that I always use by taking in, even slouching a little bit in your chair would be actually better for me because it would be different. So the opposite of dynamic, which is the term you're using, is static. And so the problem is a static work position. Whether it's presumed to be ergonomically superior in this particular snapshot in time, it may not be ergonomically superior if that's what you're doing eight hours a day, five days a week, uh, year in and year out. Is that accurate? Yeah. Um, and I like to cu- like to tease out that ergonomics, like something being ergonomically good or bad, doesn't mean that it's like biologically good or bad. Ergonomics is a study of, of the workplace. If you are forced to do something for eight hours a day, what's the best way to do it? Which would be like saying, if you could only eat one food every single day, what would be the best food to eat? And we could all come. Bacon. To- there you go. Done. End. <laughs> Discussion over. No, but, I'm, but, I'm, <laughs> but you know what I'm but, saying? But no, it's totally a great, it's, it's a great analogy. It's the analogy of food. Yeah, yeah. So what nebulous, that dynamic really means a well-balanced movement diet. We are trying to get more minerals and vitamins into the workplace and a mineral and vital, vitamin equivalent to movement would be a load profile. So we're trying to get these um, load profiles that you hardly ever get and try to consume less of like movement junk food, the movement, the load equivalent to junk food, which even the most nutritious food or supplement that you take can become junk if you take too much of it, right? The dose is in, the dose makes the poison. Right. Okay, so this, the, I like this concept, this ergonomic chair, which I bought, I don't have one, but theoretically I bought an $800 ergonomic chair because it pushes my lumbar spine in at the base and maybe sets me up for a judgmentally better position throughout the day. You're saying that's not necessarily a great thing or the optimal thing. Well, I'm saying that the perspective comes, the perspective is a narrow one, which is humans should only be moving in this narrow range of motion where all of that research about like what's better, like why should you have a lumbar curve? Why is it there? Well, that research comes from people who have high levels of injury tend to have no lumbar curve, but if, if you look more into the literature, the reason that no lumbar curve is a problem is because it's coupled with eight hours of compression. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I, I'm, now I'm sort of getting a picture of, of wearing orthotics in a shoe because you have bad arches. You know, it's like, okay, that's the go-to cure for every podi- podiatrist up until very recently, when in fact, simply adding that, that arch support, which allowed you to walk without knee pain, wasn't fixing the problem was actually, in, in some cases, causing more problems because of the atrophy of the arch itself. You were you were taking all of the requirement, and maybe that's what the ergonomic chair is doing in many cases, is uh, the bar stool that you're talking about causes you to maybe shift your position every once in a while. You might slouch a little bit. You might you might stretch a little bit. You might you know lean side to side. You might you, because you're not forced into one configuration. Yeah, I think I think orthotics is a great example because. 
Orthotics change the structure in the short term by transferring the load to a different place, but the original problem, which was you never used your feet so that you have these, you know, weak muscles, perpetuates. And then there's all these other like deeper cellular things affect that are affected by a lack of mus- musculature, like what happens to the myelination of your nerves, right? Then you have neuropathy. So so those fallen arches or the pain when you were walking were the early signals to start using your feet or start doing something differently. And putting an orthotic on might have been a step to get you moving to do more, but it, it tends to be the end step. It's like the first and the last step, as is a lot of things designed to to hold us in a position because then it gets right back to the difference between passive and active. So you flexing your elbow into a bicep curl is different than me putting a cast on you in that exact same joint configuration. In in one case, you were using muscle, there was a, a surge of flow associated with it. And on the other hand, there was nothing. Well, yeah, in the first case, there's also some, some uh, very um, subtle and nuanced signals being sent to the genes to adapt or not to the movement, whether it was going to be repetitive, whether it was going to uh, be a very huge load-bearing uh, exercise, or whether it's just going to be, you know, uh, aerobic versus anaerobic, and all these different signals. And and as you say, in the cast, there's literally no signaling, which uh, I guess the body is always tending to take no signal as uh, time to shut down the systems. Well, and and there's never really no signal. The signal is just one long same signal over right. time. And, right. and what happens when you get that exact same signal over time is you change the way you process information. So if you've ever walked into um, a house and smelled like a fresh baked, you know, fill in the blank pie or whatever, you, you smell it for like a couple minutes, but then after a while it's still sitting there. It's still just almost as fresh as it was, but you don't smell it anymore because mm-hmm. your body responds to similar input by going, okay, noted that, there was nothing to do here, and it puts it into a different processing system. So mm-hmm. when you hold the same exact position with your body, you stop processing it. Like if you're sitting on a chair, the back of your hamstrings are being pressed on by the chair. But if if you are constantly aware, if those sensory organs were constantly taking, you know, hamstrings press, hamstrings press for eight hours a day, you wouldn't be able to process other types of information. So this is a good thing that you can become pretty mindless about what you do physically on one hand, but on the other hand, it allows us to get into these traps of of not even being aware of the physical sensations, the negative physical sensations caused by static positioning because you do it so often. Well, and that's that's interesting because that's one of, I'm sure, the, the uh, human organism's adaptations over evolution is to is to not be in pain and to desensitize to certain elements of pain, which uh, not unlike the apple pie that smells so great at first and after a while you become desensitized to it, we, we note that you know if you're a type 2 diabetic and you're eating like crap and you're not exercising, even though there's a lot going on in your body, your body's inflamed, even though your heart is racing, even though you're uh, pumping out lots of, of uh, epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol, and all these other sort of fight-or-flight hormones on a regular basis, you don't feel it. You don't notice it because your body has, has had no choice but to become adapted to that and desensitized to that. 
And it, what's funny is when you clean your act up and you start eating primal and you start getting rid of the inflammatory foods and you lose the weight and you start moving and you clean your act up and everything starts feeling good and you feel vital again, now if you go back and eat that crappy food again, now you feel the heart rate racing. You, you start sweating and you notice it. You feel, your stomach feels like crap. And all of these things that, that were always there, the signals were always there, but your body was desensitized to them because the, I guess the body wants not to feel pain in whatever manner it can do that. Maybe that's what's going on in the workplace as well when you are you are sitting in a static position and there are some things that are happening, some signals that are being sent that aren't to your benefit, but you lose you lose touch with them. You lose that that sensation that something is wrong. Yeah, and I think that another aspect to that is the health issues that you do have when you sit down and take out a piece of paper and write about things that hurt or whatever you're taking medication for, you don't associate those breakdowns with the sitting. And I think that, you know, you'll ask people like how they feel. It's like, I feel great. But then if you actually put them on paper, they'll say 17 different things. But in their mind, those things are not associated with their behavior because we tend to kind of perpetuate the notion that what's in our genes is not as malleable as it actually is. And that is totally shaped how you live your your physical life, so kind of in the same way that you are how you eat, you are definitely how you move or right. don't. So you go home from the workspace mm-hmm. and you do whatever you're going to do. Maybe you do a workout, maybe you have some dinner, but then you go sit on the sofa and you watch TV for three hours or four hours. Is that a good thing because it's a different a different sitting configuration than you had at work? What's the you know? I'm hearing sort of that that's maybe an okay thing because it's different, but the fact that it's still three or four hours. Um, I have to confess it. When I watch TV at home, I'm on a sofa. I am changing positions. I'm on. I'm leaning over on one elbow. I'm stretching back behind me. I'm crossing my legs. I'm uncrossing my legs. I'm lying on my stomach with an arm draped over the sofa. I mean, it seems to me it pisses my wife off too because I'm, you know, she wants me to just sit there with my arm around her, and I'm changing positions because I can't be comfortable in one position. Am I doing the right thing? Well, you could be massaging your feet, and then that would be more movement for you, right? <laughs> okay. Let her know that one. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that I recommend for those who just everyone knows you should move more. I mean, we'll say you should move more, but but we also need to rest. We also certainly don't rest nearly enough. But when we do rest, we do tend to drop into the same configuration. You're moving, which is which is great. But what I recommend for people is to start sitting on the floor instead of their furniture because what that will do is it will review to you that you're actually not strong enough to sit on the floor. A lot of people aren't strong enough. They're not mobile enough. They don't have the trunk musculature or the hip musculature or the leg musculature to cope with their mass in that position. So in the same way that a lot of people will go to like a class specific to sitting on the floor and stretching out their body parts, if you just did that at home more often, that would really be, that would have a, a large impact, a great impact on your health by just sitting differently at first. Maybe one strategy for watching TV is you only earn TV time as long as you can sit on the floor. That could be. The TV goes off yeah. when uh, your butt hits the couch. Okay, I think we've, we've probably proscribed uh, an arena in which there's a lot of stuff going wrong with uh, how we've set up our workspace lives and maybe even how we watch TV at home. What are some of the basic things that we can do to get us out of that rut? Well, you can sit differently. You can you can certainly stand. I, I definitely am a supporter of the, the transition to standing more at work, the standing workstation, although I like to flesh it out a little bit more by calling it more the various ways to be seated while you're working 
only one of them is which is your butt is in a chair. You can take breaks, things like phone calls, you know, things like phone calls where you don't really need to be chained to your desk. It's perfectly fine for you to be out milling around outside would be great. But even if you feel like you can't go outside, if you can, you know, walk in the halls and take your calls or I mean, even get out of your chair and walk around in your office if you feel that constrained would be great. And then one of the things that I'm going to talk about in the course is when you are sitting and standing, how to do it a little bit better for you, specifically looking at the ways that most of us who've been sitting most of our lives, there's a particular way most of us have adapted to that. So there are there are correctives, meaning like different like low profile exercises and stretches you can do while you're still working, things that don't require that you get away from your desk and stop producing. And then some exercises that are a little bit larger in nature, which means you'll you can take your four or five minute movement breaks, not have to leave your office, but still get some serious strength going in your lower half and your blood flowing and the lymph flowing, the cells squashing, you know, all those sorts of things. And then um, think and then changing the way you think about work in general, getting it, hunking it in kind of different ways and making sure that you maximize the breaks that that all of us should have throughout the day of just learning how to use those more to your benefit. So when you go home, after you're done working, you've actually moved more than had you had an actual workout. Um, I like the way you think because uh, we've one of the options at my workplace here for my employees is they all have treadmills at their desk. And I do not stand over them with a whip and make them do this. <laughs> but of their own volition, they'll sometimes fire up the treadmill. And the next thing you know, they put in a couple of hours of walking at like 1.7 miles an hour. And they've accumulated six, seven, maybe eight miles in a day. And one of the benefits of that is they don't have a workout hanging over their head when they get in the car to drive home. They've, they've literally moved enough throughout the day in terms of walking to have qualified to be an actual workout. And as you know, when I tell people about moving around a lot at a low level of aerobic activity, I'm really not that concerned about how many calories you burn. It's really not about the calories burned. It's just the, it's just about the movement. Yeah, it's about the cell squashing. You know, you get the, you get the cells loaded in cycles of loading and unloading um, throughout the day is really um, probably one of the most underappreciated aspects of health because we keep approaching it with a large hunk of activity at the end of the day. But, you know, when you're when you've worked all day, you know, if you didn't do something first thing in the morning, you need rest like we need we're we are. I think I already said it, but we're significantly under rested. And if we could find a way to put movement back into life throughout the day where the frequency looks a little bit more as it would in nature, I think that a lot of people will feel a lot better. Thanks for listening to Mark Sisson and Katie Bowman and the Don't Just Sit There audio conversation. Got a passion for Primal? Join Mark Sisson on a mission to save the world. Become a Primal Blueprint certified expert today. With our dollar down payment program, it's easier than ever. Just pay $1 to start and $89 a month for the next 12 months. The Primal Blueprint Expert Certification is the most comprehensive online Primal Paleo certification program of its kind. Explore the fascinating world of ancestral health from the comfort of your own home with this premier multimedia experience. Perfect for health and fitness professionals, as well as individuals looking to up-level their primal practice. Visit primalblueprint.com slash get certified to put a dollar down today.